Yo, 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 Thought Warriors, can you believe we are coming up on two years of higher learning? Two years of random van-inspired questions. Two years of big rage popping off. And most of all, two years of you, our amazing Thought Warriors that keep challenging and inspiring us every single day. That's why we're officially granting the higher learning hang, okay, exclusively for our LA-based fans. If you haven't moved out to LA yet, don't. Keep the 405 clear. Follow our Higher Learning Instagram page at Higher Learning and check out the IG story with full details on how you can link up with us. Y'all know y'all can listen to Higher Learning free only on Spotify, but now you can subscribe to our new Higher Learning YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Higher Learning to watch behind the scenes content and more celebrating this special two year anniversary. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It's the Prestige TV Podcast. My name is Bill Simmons. I'm here with Joanna Robinson. We're going to talk about The Staircase, which just finished on HBO Max. This was prestigious. This is probably going to win some Emmys and some nominations and all kinds of things. I especially liked it because I did not see the documentary, Joanna. Had you seen the documentary? No, I think you and I are the only two people who hadn't seen the documentary. So we went in fresh. And I love documentaries. Somehow I didn't I didn't see it. So I didn't know anything that was going to happen. And I don't know. I think you and I are probably better off experiencing it in real time, not knowing the story. But I can see how other people would have been constantly comparing the documentary to this, stuff like that. I thought just as an eight-episode true crime show, I, I thought it was way, way up there. What'd you think? I'm wondering at this point if you, Bill, make a distinction between what's an HBO show and what's an HBO Max show, because it surprised me that this was on Max versus like The Time Traveler's Wife, which was on HBO sort of proper. I would have flipped the two if it were me making the programming. I don't know if they're experimenting. But anyway, very prestigious, very good. Colin Firth, incredible. Tony Collette, always good. Um, Julie Binoche, just just a really stacked cast, obviously, but... Um, I also liked what it was doing with the ambiguity of the case. Like, it's not trying to tell us exactly what happened. It's trying to do something else, which I think made it stand apart from... There's a bunch of true crime shows out right now, right? Under the Parent of Heaven, Candy, The Truth About Pam, that Renee Zellweger show, you know? And this is trying to do something just a step beyond trying to tell the story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
higher level version. That's an interesting HBO Max, HBO point you made because I thought the same thing. This was the first time I was actually confused by the two brands. Because to me, this is just a classic textbook Sunday night HBO show. This is no different than The Undoing with Nicole Kidman or uh, the Kate Winslet show, whatever. Yeah. It just felt like such a Sunday night, nine o'clock show. And I think maybe they needed to put at least, I don't know, two or three kind of HBO caliber, HBO Max shows, but- I'm with you, man. I Especially, it's not like HBO has like a slew of programming right now. They're a little, you know, they have Barry, obviously, but they're a little in between. They don't have yeah. a show like this right now. Yeah, they're a little light right now. Um, and the other question is something like Hacks, which was an HBO Max show in its first season, but like won a ton of Emmys and is one of the highest regarded comedies. And they kept it on HBO Max rather than moving it, which to me says they don't see the brands maybe as distinct as I sort of thought they were. And also most people probably watch all of this stuff on HBO Max. And so they can't even tell what is an HBO show and what is an HBO Max show. Do you know what I mean? I think the average person at home doesn't make that distinction. Yeah, I think in 2022, as we're heading toward this summer, some of the streamers have kind of come in with, all right, here's our strategy, but it was the strategy from 2019 or 2020. We haven't seen a lot of, evolution with how we watch stuff. Like you think about HBO Max, I think the stats for Euphoria, what was it? Like 80% of the audience was on HBO Max instead of HBO. And to me, I think they've established HBO Max so well at this point that a show like this actually could have been elevated even more on HBO. I didn't start watching it initially because I was like, oh, it's an HBO Max show. It's another true crime thing. And then people anecdotally in my life were like, you got to watch The Staircase. It's amazing. Um, my mom, who hates just about everything unless it's subtitled, uh, she's <laughs> like such a prestige snob at this point. You got to watch this show that's set in France. Um, but this one, she's like, this this show's great. So I gave it a chance. But I think that HBO, HBO Max, I'm, I wonder how it's going to play out going forward. Because to me, it's like it should just be on both if it's great. Yeah, maybe they're just trying to further blur the distinction between the two so that eventually, I mean, I think all of these brands, if you think about like Disney's programming, all these brands are pushing all, you know, towards the future, which they see as just streaming, that everyone will be on streaming and cable will not exist anymore and fewer people go to the movie theater, et cetera. So um, I'm wondering if it was like Juliette Binoche that got your mom into this. She's like, there's a there's a French actress in this. I got to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that might have been. Yeah, you know, you made the key point before about all the true crime stuff. It's a legitimate glut, but a lot of this stuff is really well done. And I think just from a fan viewer standpoint, it's just tough to spend week after week with like, somebody died in the house. What happened? Oh, yeah. somebody's hiding a secret. So you really have to pick and choose. Like I didn't watch Candy, the Me Jessica Beale show. Yeah. I heard it's good. I'm just, I kind of chose the staircase. And some people do this with the podcast too, right? That the since serial eight, yeah. nine years ago, they're just like, I, this is what I love, true crime. My dad loves spy novels. It's like been a running joke in our family for 30 years, like the books with the red cover. Some yeah. people are all in or some people are, are picky about it. I think I'm probably more picky, but this had a, this show had a lot of things that I like. I love when a secret emerges around episode three. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> What sites is what sites is this Mike Peterson going to? And um, I thought the best thing about this show compared to some of the other true crime ones, they really did a good job of establishing Tony Collette's character, 
the relationship that they had and really making her seem like a full person instead of somebody who just got murdered. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I I don't have like huge appetite for true crime. I'm not like a, I don't have 20 podcasts in my queue that are all like about dead girls and women, but, but, um, when it's done really well and when it has something extra to say, I also got into the show a little late. Like I think around six episodes had aired by the time I caught up, you know, it was Me towards too. the end. Same thing. Yeah. But I think, I think was episode six, the owl episode. Honestly, I think that's what like got a lot of people like buzzing the owl theory, which is one of the wildest aspects of the staircase. And I think that's when it, a lot of people were like, no, you have to watch this show. They went all in on the owl theory. And if you are an owl, owl theory uh, truther, what's really fun is if you watch a show, there's like owls hooting in the background throughout the whole uh, season. But I, I think that the decision they made to show her dying multiple times, the first time they showed is really brutal, episode yeah. two. And then they show it again. And then they show it again. Um, and I... I think they're trying to make some sort of point about how we're desensitized to how many of these grisly murders that we get, we we treat as sort of like games or, you know, puzzles for ourselves to solve who done it. And I like that the end of this show is not, that's not the point. The point isn't who done it. There's this like creepy shot of Colin Frost's face at the very end of, of the series, but like it's, it's about how you can't know what happened. Do you know yep. what I mean? I thought the showing multiple versions of the murder in the most elaborate way possible was really interesting. I'm not sure I've seen that before in a show like this, right? Where it's like, so. here's, here's theory A, and they really go into it. I'm with you, man. The owl theory. Oh, I was watching with my wife. We we banged out seven on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Wow. It was just like one of the, it was like four on a Friday night. Uh, it was, there was finally no basketball or sports on <laughs> and then woke up the next morning and, and did the other three and the owl thing. I think that was when we were like, Oh, this show. Wow. This yeah. is good. I'm, I might be an owl truther. I could be talked into it. I don't know. Are there meetings? Is there, uh, yeah. is there literature? What, what's going on? The, the staircase Reddit board, which has been thriving and active, I think for over a decade is like full of owl truthers. I've got a really good friend who's an owl truther, but, um, and I love that. I was reading an interview with, the uh, the actual woman that Julia Binoche plays. Yeah. She's still an owl truther. That woman is still all in on the owl theory. She's like, it's the only thing that explains everything. I was like, okay. It's pretty good. So I feel like, yeah, I just contradict myself constantly in, in sports and culture. But <laughs> the fact that this was being trickled out once a week, I think is great for the kind of prestige culture we talk about, where you have a week to do the theories and all that stuff. At the same time, my wife and I watched seven episodes in like 18 hours, and it was enjoyable to watch it that way too. So I, I think... I wish I had watched it week to week because I would have the Reddit culture and all that stuff. I would have been all in trying to figure it out. Um, but it was also really fun to binge, which makes it a pretty rare show. Also the acting. I mean, you just go the top three people in this first. Great. Tony Collette's great. Juliet Binoche, especially in the last episode, which I thought was a pretty uneven last episode for the most part, but I thought she was spectacular in the show. And then, all the kids were really good too. Even Patrick Schwarzenegger, who knew? I was going to say, I was like, Patrick Schwarzenegger, you are way too handsome and privileged to actually be talented, but he is really good in the show. Dane DeHaan, Dane DeHaan, who I like don't always 
connect with, I thought was really, really good. Uh, Sophie Turner doing her best stuff since Thrones, you know? So I, I, yeah, I thought it was extremely well cast. Parker Posey, like deep in the bench, you get a player like Parker Posey doing like a really fun, wild accent sketch of a character. Um, Yeah, incredibly cast. Did you know uh, something that sort of blew my mind uh, is that before Colin Firth signed on, Harrison Ford was supposed to play Michael Peterson. Man, I had trouble. That doesn't work at all, right? Yeah, it doesn't. I especially him at this stage of his career. I don't. I just don't think he's a good enough actor at this point. He's pretty old. He's forty-five years of smoking pot. He's a little (laughs) out of it. I don't know. He's. I mean, he. It's rare to see him. Like it's rare to watch a Ford performance where you feel like he really cares anymore. Occasionally you're like, That's oh, what he, I mean. oh, he seems awake. And then most of the time he seems like he just showed up and he's like, hi, I'm here. I'm Harrison Ford. And you can't have that for this role. I think what Firth is doing, because Michael Peterson, I mean, here's the here's the wild thing about this case. Whether or not he did it, that guy is a terrible human being. And so Colin Firth having to sell us on both that guy being a terrible human being and him being charming enough to snow all these women and keep his kids loyal to him despite being absolutely awful to them. Like he had to walk that line, the Colin Firth sort of established charm that exists from, you know, being Mr. Darcy or whatever helps. But I don't see Ford doing what Firth was able to accomplish there. I totally agree. So Colin Firth. Yeah. Like, what are your like top three or four Colin Firth things? Because he's one of those, he's like one of those athletes who's been around for a while. Yeah. He's been really good in some stuff, but I don't think he gets mentioned with the best actors. Like in sports, he would be one of the guys who just falls through the cracks. And then we're like, oh, and that guy's good too. But you kind of forget to mention him as one of the best guys. But I do feel like he's just an excellent actor who's had some great moments. But I was, I was constantly during this eight episodes just been like, man, this guy's really good. Like this is a high level performance, but what, like, what are your favorite Colin Firth performances? I think my favorite is a single man, which Mm. is the movie he did before, like the year before he won the Oscar for the King's speech. And I think the King's speech is fine, but I think a single man is the, like, I I feel like it was one of those Oscars where everyone was like, well, he should have won last year. So let's just give it to him this year, you know? Um, So those are really good. I really liked also, this is is dating me, but like in the English patient and also in uh, Shakespeare in Love, like he comes out of, playing Mr. Darcy, this like famous romantic hero. And then he plays these like petty, shitty, awful people in, in those movies. And that really to me showed that he wasn't going to just rest on being, you know, Mr. Darcy forever for the rest of his life. So I think he's made some interesting choices, but I agree that like people don't always think of him. And I think this is the most nuanced thing he's done where he, he, sort of put together both of those things where he can be like the shitty, shitty, petty asshole and he can be the sexually dynamic, attractive leading man. And he smashed them together for this to portray this really baffling human being in the staircase. How about you? Do you have, do you have top Colin Firth performances? Well, I was looking at IMDb and they have the known for, which is always key during the rewatchables (laughs) when I'm looking up that guy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what is that guy from? And the known for is always so helpful. Yeah. So Colin Firth's known fours, there's four. It's a single band, the King's Speech, Kingsman, and Bridget Jones's Diary. 
Of course, Kingsman. Those are the known four. Yeah. I mean, he's great in Bridget Jones' Diary. But that that kind of sums up the career, right? Like yeah. he's in Bridget Jones's Diary and the King's Speech and then this weird staircase thing. It's interesting though with Bridget Jones's Diary. This could have easily been a Hugh Grant kind of the stage Hugh Grant is at at his career role. But yeah. I think one of the frustrating things about Hugh Grant over the last 30 years is he was never able dramatically to go to that last level that people like Colin Firth and Tony Collette are at. He was good. Like he was, he was fine in the Nicole Kidman show. Yeah. He's good, but he's not, I don't think he could have pulled off a role like this. No, but I think it's, uh, it's close to what he was trying to do in the undoing. And that show, I just didn't think had anything for him. No. Um, but I think to your point, I think Tony Collette, so there's three Oscar winners, or two Oscar winners in this cast, right? Julia Finoche and yep. Colin Firth. And it's wild to me that Tony Collette is not an Oscar winner. She's never turned in a bad performance and she's never turned in a performance where she wasn't at 100%, if not higher, you know? And right. so the, you know, justice for Tony, like give, get Tony her Oscar is is a forefront of my mind. But I think she's extraordinary. And, and I think the room that this show has for her character giving us this full scope of this woman who is just like at the end of her rope, no matter what happened that, that she fell down the staircase, whether or not he pushed her or not, he like pushed her into the breaking point in terms of all of their domestic uh, ongoings and doings. So good. She's incredible in this. Do you know what her only Oscar nomination is? Uh, the it's answer not, surprised me because I just is this, looked it is up. Is it the Sixth Sense? It is. Yeah. Supporting actress Sixth Sense. <laughs> yeah. So her no, her known fours on IMDb are The Sixth Sense, About a Boy, Hereditary, and Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, we not, have a, not Muriel's Wedding? Come on. No. <laughs> um, Little Miss Sunshine, I think is a, we've, been, we've been circling her for the rewatchables for a while. She's fantastic in that. I yeah. also think, I just watched Hereditary with... That don't judge us, but my whole family is a big horror movie. We just rewatched it. She's incredible she's, in Hereditary, and she, yeah. I don't even think she didn't get nominated for anything for that movie. But she's kind of the the one that makes that movie work. So she's she's another one. If like we're talking like athletes, she's like the underrated one, under the radar. She never gets mentioned with like in that Kate Winslet group or whatever. But she's done a lot of good work. I feel like when it's her, whenever it will be her year. Um, it'll be sort of like when Laura Dern won or something like that, where mm. it's like, why hasn't this happened yet? Right. It's ridiculous that this person doesn't have an Oscar. Give them the Oscar. And I remember the year that Hereditary came out and she is, I don't, why would I judge you for watching Hereditary with your family? An incredible, it's fantastic. incredible movie. But I, um, I, I remember there was a huge, there was a huge push for her to get at least nominated for Hereditary, which she carries entirely on her back. And, um, yeah. So uh She's got know. a she's got a good true crime face too. Where it could be it's pleasant, but then it can really go it's like a good true crime horror face. When things go wrong, she looks like she's completely Yeah, her eyes kind of like pop yeah. out. Yeah. Her um uh, there's one moment in the finale when she's talking to her sister on the phone and she's like, We should just go away somewhere. Let's just leave. And her sister's like, are you kidding? What is this a joke? And she has, there's this moment that Tony Collette showed like 90 emotions on her face and finally went, yeah, of course I'm kidding. And I rewound it to watch it again because exactly what you're saying, her face can just transform from like placid to, yeah. you know, trauma mask, uh, you know, in the span of a second. Yeah. She's incredible. 
Yeah, I, Little Miss Sunshine still probably my favorite. I probably have Hereditary too. And then this one, really good. The other one who's in this, who didn't have the career I wanted her to have is Rose Marie DeWitt. I didn't recognize her at first. Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, Rachel getting married was almost 15 years ago at this point, but she, I don't know what, sometimes people just don't get the right roles or, you know, they have a moment and it just doesn't totally happen. And now she's settled into basically character actress, but I always thought she was really good. She's great in this too. And then Sophie Turner, you mentioned her yet again with another fucked up dad relationship. Right? <laughs> she had to watch her dad get beheaded on Thrones. <laughs> and now she's got a dad as a, as a serial, as a murderer on this one. But I thought she was good too. Yeah, yeah. I think, and, uh, you know, her American accent is getting better and better. Maybe yep. living with Joe Jonas is helping her with that. But mm. um, I thought her American accent was seamless where it's not always been in the past. And yeah, I thought she, I thought she was great. Um, these poor kids, these poor Peterson kids Oof. and everything that they endure and their very weird family and the, the fact that a whole entire other mom fell down the stairs and died is... Uh, you know, second to the owl theory, the wildest thing that comes out of this this whole story. Rosemary DeWitt, I think it it was just a it's just a matter of like the makeup and wig and everything that they put her in, where she was transformed completely into this type, this person, yep. this woman I definitely know. And especially when she shows up at the end with these like chunky like highlights in her hair, and she does this like double read of this really impassioned. Uh, letter at the trial and uh, yeah she's she's fantastic deserves more she's like an indie movie queen you know yes. she's like a Duplass brother queen um, but she deserves yeah. more you're absolutely right yeah she's like the a Duplass brothers having a premature ejaculation problem and then they have to talk <laughs> about it for seven minutes yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Like, like a lot of those kind of movies <laughs> exactly yeah, the uh, the Juliet Binoche piece which if you're going to make the case that Peterson killed his wife. The lying, and basically he ropes her in and seduces her to help with that, but obviously never really cared about her. I guess yeah. would be the takeaway. Or the moment he got out, realized it wasn't when he thought. Who knows? But what they did in episode eight, which I thought was a pretty uneven episode for the most part, but it made me more convinced that he probably killed his wife because the way he was just callously able to shut off the faucet on Juliet Binoche's yeah. character, I thought was pretty alarming. And the, and the way he treats his kids when he gets out, et cetera, like there's no gratitude or olive branches and using his kids as an excuse to not go to Paris. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I, I think that, um, I'm, I was convinced from the beginning that he did it because it's almost always like you have to really work hard to tell me it's not the husband or the boyfriend because that's almost always the case. It has to be the is. owl. The owl is the only way he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, there's no exactly. other scenario. <laughs> He should be out there like the strongest advocate for the owl case. But I think that um, I completely agree. Do you ever, when you're watching something like this, do you ever spoil yourself by reading Wikipedia pages or you I don't. don't? Okay. I don't. I try to, especially something like this where I didn't know anything. I, I remember there was a documentary. I remember being surprised that they were doing the TV show after basically two different documentaries where it's like, wow, they're going back to this. Yeah. But I also avoided it as much as I could. I think that was the right move. I think it was. I spoiled myself on just between seven and eight on yeah. whether or not he was still with her was something mm. I was interested in. And when I found out that he dumped her and like didn't go to Paris with her and she spent what a decade over a decade of her life, however long doing everything for him, giving up her life for him. I was like, this guy 
is an absolute monster. And well, it also taps into a theme that's been in some of these shows that I am always fascinated by. The woman who becomes obsessed with the case and yeah. falls in love with the guy, I yeah. think is one of the all-time weird ways to fall in love. It might even be number one. Where yeah. it's like, this guy's, there's got to be some danger element that's part of the attraction. Or like, I can save him. You yeah, know? it's like combination savior, but also I might get also murdered by this guy. <laughs> like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't fully understand it. What's less attractive than somebody who's in jail? <laughs> right. Like, oh, well, cool. maybe maybe they can focus all their attention on you because they don't have much else going on. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm I could have used not, more of that. I'm not for it. I'm not saying you should more yeah. of the more of the jail stuff. No, or? more of the I. I thought it was a little flimsy how she fell for him. How they kind of reenacted well, that. All of a sudden, she was all in on him, and I and I never saw the one scene that made me think, "Oh, that was the scene when something when something clicked." I think a big question for something like this, um, and and I think you and I talked about this a little bit on respective prestige shows about um, the Silicon Valley influencer boom shows that we were talking about. Is like, yeah. what is your responsibility to tell in something like this where you're trying to make it exciting and dramatic? What is your responsibility to be accurate, and how much poetic license are you allowed to take? There's like a disclaimer at the end of every episode of The Staircase where it's like, this is a fictionalized version of our true story, et cetera. We're not trying to tell you exactly the truth. Yeah. And the and the main pushback I've seen from the real life people who are involved, uh, who are depicted in the show, are from the documentarians who mm. were like, listen, she's like, this woman, Sophie, uh, is like, listen, I didn't fall in love. I never talked to him before until I was done with the documentary. She's like, so I didn't cut the documentary in a certain way because I was in love with him. I didn't meet him until afterwards. And similarly, the documentary director's like, I never asked him to do another, like the old William Hurt, um, do another take, but but more emotional sort of thing. Like, he's like, I never did that. I never did that. Whether or not yeah. there. So they feel like this movie, this series is throwing their documentary under the bus a little bit in terms of questioning its... Um, adherence to the truth or its bias. Um, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts or feelings about how how much poetic license something like this is allowed to take? Well, I thought it was just class. HBO's on a great run with this. When they need real life stuff to drum up more PR and interest in the show. <laughs> uh -huh. And it was like between episode seven and eight, all of a sudden Michael Peterson comes off the top rope, mm -hmm. the documentary people, they get pissed. Uh -huh. And it was a two day news cycle about what was accurate and not accurate in the show. All that does is help HBO. I mean, all the winning time stuff, when Jerry West flipped out about winning time, that was the greatest thing that ever could happen to winning time. So yeah, look, I, it was tougher for me with winning time just because the way they bastardized some of the facts, I just didn't get it. They didn't. Yeah. It was stuff they just didn't need to do. Yeah. Whereas on this show, you know, there was so much ambiguity. What are you going to do? Like you, you can't obey the facts because in some of these cases, we don't know what the facts are. So I yeah. thought they, I thought they landed the plane really well on that stuff. I thought the last episode, the biggest questions I had were just why the family was so loyal to this guy who killed this person they loved almost definitely. And, you know, like Patrick Schwarzenegger's character, like him, him vlogging it, like he's becoming a celebrity from it. I just felt like there should have been more shame and horror within the family than there was. Right. But maybe this is how, how it played out. I don't know. 
other than like we can't get our reservation at our favorite restaurant, which is yeah, like, that, you that know. Was like, that was so <laughs> weird that they would have even thought that, oh, let's pick up like where we left off before. But maybe that's what actually happened. I don't know. Todd Peterson, by the way, Patrick Schwarzenegger's character is still vlogging and still saying very spicy stuff about his dad. Uh, if you if you want to check that out, anyone listening. Yeesh. But yikes, big yikes. But I think what's interesting, what I'm frustrated about in the final episode is that I don't feel like I got the story of why all the kids were at the trial in 2011, but not at the trial in 2017. What happened in those six years, other than that one disastrous dinner that we watch, what yeah. happened in those six years where these kids who were so loyal to him for so long are like, dad's too hard to be around. Let's just not worry about it. Um, I want to know about that. That's that's where I went diving after I watched the finale. Is I was like, do all the kids hate him now? And if all the right. kids hate him now, that makes me even more sure that he did it. Like, because his kids' loyalty was one of the best arguments for his innocence. So, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. I mean, the 2011, they were so all in. Yeah. That was, I, that was the part I couldn't totally figure out. And, you know, Eight, eight episodes. I certainly didn't want longer episodes, but I think if you're going to do eight plus hours of content, I thought they could have explored that stretch yeah. where that whatever led to people being a little more horrified by him. I mean, um, maybe maybe it was the horrible way that he dumped this woman who his kids like seem to have a relationship with. But again, I'm just, I don't know. I'm making stuff up. Maybe that's the sequel, um, The Staircase too. If they could have like two to three parts of the documentary, uh, why? I but I no, I don't want to spend any more time with Michael Peterson. To be honest with you, I think I've had Me my neither. fill of that guy. I'm done. My my worst <laughs> thought watching this was like, if I committed a murder, how loyal would my kids be to me? Like how if loyal, I was accused, how loyal do you think would my kids go to the trial? I feel like my son probably wouldn't go. He'd be like, Dad, I can't make it again today. <laughs> <laughs> but your but your daughter's we're going there. To the mall. <laughs> I think my daughter would be there. I don't know about my son. I don't I don't know how loyal he would have been. My my daughter probably would have been vlogging about it, doing a whole bunch of things. Yeah, it's this was a really good show. This I think we can say this show won the true crime wars of 2022 at least so far. It did because Under the Banner started really strong, but I don't think it stuck the landing at all. I think it, that show fell apart at the end whereas I think this despite what your your good points about the finale, I think the like sticking to the ambiguity made the ending more interesting than any of the other show where they're just like and this is how it was done at the end, do you know? Agree. Under the Banner I just think anecdotally, it didn't seem like it was relevant at all. Didn't seem to catch the way, definitely the way that they wanted it to. Um, Candy, anecdotally, I don't know one person who's watching it. Yeah, and the truth about Pam, negative. That show show was bad. Very bad. I actually wanted to watch it. I just thought that was a bad show. So this show won the True Crime Wars of 2022. And then I think it seems like the dropout won the... Yep. Silicon Valley Wars. The Silicon Valley Wars. Although I liked all three shows and I'm personally, I really missed the We Crashed. I really miss (laughs) Jared Leto and Hathaway. I think about them a lot. (laughs) You're like, those are the true America sweethearts. Are you going to rent America sweethearts from Blockbuster, you and your wife, to sort of cap off this staircase experience? I think if one of us was watching that, I think the other would be side-eyeing them looking a little suspicious. What's going on? What are you trying to tell me with America's sweethearts? (laughs) Is someone getting murdered tonight? What's happening? So what do we have for prestige the rest of the way? Because this feed's about to get a lot more boring. Barry's going to end. Better Call Saul is wrapping up this summer. Boring. Then, How dare you? Westworld. Right, Westworld. Come on. Westworld. That's yes. right. Yeah. You and Shoemaker and Heifetz. When does that start? 
Uh, two to three weeks from now. Yeah. Okay. What else yeah. do we have? Is there anything on your radar? On my radar this summer? I mean, I'm drowning in Ringerverse content this summer, so I don't know about prestige. I know. You guys are getting annihilated on the Ringerverse. <laughs> Marvel stuff. movies, Star Wars, Stranger <laughs> Things. This is unbelievable. It's a lot of stuff. But yeah. Stranger Things, apparently, it's like two, two and a half hour episodes. Yeah. Like two, basically, movies. Oh uh, dropping in July and Saul wrapping up in July. Uh, yeah. July and June. Yeah. And then H- HBO, I don't back, know what their big summer show is. What is it? Um, I don't know what they're doing between now and House of the Dragon, but House of the Dragon is obviously what's coming in like a wrecking ball um, in August. So, Well, we might do a couple uh, Hall of Fame episodes on the really Prestige TV. So be ready. Be on duty. This, uh, this podcast was produced by our guy Kerm, Jonathan Kerma. <laughs> Working on a Saturday. <laughs> on, his, on his way to a potluck. On his way out. On his way to a potluck. <laughs> Stuck around for us. Uh, stay tuned for Barry tomorrow with uh, Sean Fennessy and Bill Hader. And you can listen to Joanna on House of R. What's your other podcast called? I always forget the title. Oh, Trial by Content. Trial by Content. Yeah. I yeah. always think of it as Joanna and Friends. Yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so you can hear on that and you can listen to me on the uh, on the BS podcast because we have a lot of Celtics games coming this week. Joanna, good to see you as always. Good to see you. Watch out for the owls. 